Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to Front Run, where we predict the future of money and technology. I'm your host, John Cook. Today is Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. And today on Front Run Out Loud, we are going to recap the latest news events and like the really big ticket items that uh, are making the headlines today in the crypto Ethereum ecosystem, as well as some of the items that are not making the mainstream headlines, but should be. Today, we're going to cover the Optimism uh, uh, Coinbase deploying its base platform on Optimism Layer 2, corresponding analytics around that, go into some tokenomics and this code is law construct with with DYDX. And this happened a while ago, but, but I got to call it out. Then we'll wrap it up with, I think, what is the next phase of the ICO bull run we experienced in 2017, 2018, also happening on Arbitrum. And then we'll close it out with some economic data and the implication related to crypto. So let's dive into it. This morning, uh, for for those who don't follow on crypto Twitter, there was this trending theme yesterday related to like a blue logo and some unveiling that Coinbase was going to do today, uh, Thursday. Well, it turns out that Coinbase announced, and I have this uh, pulled up to the screen for those watching in YouTube land, uh, this new program called Build on Base. Build on Base is a Layer 2 Ethereum. uh, It's a Layer 2 protocol that you can build DeFi apps on. Like, that's the punchline. What's cool about it, though, is the Layer 2 protocol technology being used is optimism. So you can imagine of like the big players in the L2 wars, whether it's, well, Polygon's technically a side chain, but um, it will be an L2 soon with ZK Sync. Of course, Optimism, of course, Arbitrum, there's Boba Networks, there's some other ones as well. This is not only a huge win for Optimism, but I think it's a huge win for crypto in general. Why? Coinbase is the de facto on-ramp for crypto users in the United States. Sure, there's Kraken and some other platforms, but Coinbase is the only crypto exchange that's regulated by the SEC, publicly traded. And as a byproduct of that regulation, it has very limited ability to deploy the same types of features and functions that you'd see on like an unregulated crypto exchange or perhaps an exchange um, that's headquarters like offshore. For example, Binance is a really obvious example, or even KuCoin that offers like derivative leverage trades. You see Coinbase can't do that, and it's very intentional. Coinbase is um, regulated by the SEC, and that's not uh, something you can do on Coinbase because uh, Coinbase has took the stance that crypto is not a security, and leverage trading is something you do with securities. With that said... Coinbase is now building this layer two protocol using optimism technology. And why this matters is it's completely decentralized in that it's not controlled by a central entity the way the Coinbase centralized exchanges. So Coinbase is going to deploy this L2 using optimism as the underlying technology. And then once once the L2 is deployed, people are going to be able to build DeFi apps 
on the Coinbase L2 called Base. And it's pretty sick because I saw, I think I saw Euler Finance, Euler Labs make an announcement. Let me pull it up really quick. That um, they're deploying. Yeah, this is wild, man. So Euler Labs, uh, Euler is a decentralized uh, protocol to facilitate borrow lending. Uh, they announced also today that we're excited to support Build on Base, Coinbase's new created Layer 2 scaling solution. Through Aave and Euler Finance, we're ready to bring Balancer boosted pool technology to Base. So that is pretty sick. And you can see Michael Bentley, uh, the CEO of Euler Finance, also tweets, we're delighted to reveal that Euler Labs is building on base testnet. Coinbase millions of users are about to be introduced to a future which is open, on-chain, and non-custodial. That's the game changer here. Non-custodial platforms that let individual users take control of their crypto by owning their private keys. With great... uh, with great power comes great responsibility for sure. But I'm super bullish on crypto in general because Coinbase is now providing the ecosystem that lets individuals on-ramp into fiat, on-ramp their fiat into crypto using SEC-regulated approved uh, Coinbase.com. And then... Once you're ready to take control of your private keys and you want to experience some of the perhaps more bespoke degen opportunities that exist on crypto, specifically Ethereum, you can now do so using the base layer 2 protocol that's being built using Optimism's technology. And this is also super bullish for Optimism. I'm going to, the Optimism OP token, let me pull up, uh, let me pull up, uh, trading view really quick to see the impact on the um on the buy sell pressure for the op token and I, it's pro- it probably went up yeah co- yeah when coinbase did the announcement today we can see that the op token uh popped like 305 then it's now down to 280 i think uh i wrote an article about this on farmcrypto.com the way the optimism token works, and now I'm going to switch to the next topic, is um, it's a layer two protocol, right? So it collects fees uh, from people transacting on OP, right? Every time you transact on OP, uh, you have to pay a fee, which is like the gas, the GUI, right? And then that goes to uh, that goes to the optimism protocol, uh, pretty much as follows, and. This is going to go into the profitability of Optimism, which goes into like potentially the valuation of the OP token. So I've pulled up a tweet from ooh, from a token terminal that outlines the Optimism's the Optimism L two financial statement. Now they've made some like points related to uh, the PS ratio, PF ratio. We can get into that in a little bit, but. What I want to call out, let's see if I can go there directly. This is super small. Uh, yeah, this might be easier. Token terminal. Yeah, because I see this. Uh, then I'm going to go to financial statements. And I think I should see um, optimism. Yeah, cool. Here it is. So let's let's focus on the weekly view. It's easy to digest. So like... Okay, how does optimism? Uh, how does 
why is the optimism worth the the price it's worth? Why is it not worth twenty dollars or five dollars or one dollar? Right. So the way optimism works, the the profitability of optimism is it's is a byproduct of its revenue. If, of its fee collection capabilities. And what that means to play in English is when you transact on optimism, whether by interacting with a smart smart contract or or even just sending uh, ETH from one person to another, you pay a fee for that. That fee is is measured in, in GUI and it's called gas, right? So this is saying on week eight of 2023, this is week starting February 19th, uh, the fees that optimism collected were approximately 276,000 USD, okay? So now that's how much uh that's how much the protocol collected in transaction fees, right? Now what happens with that money? So since optimism is a layer 2, it has to pay for security, right? And the security is paid for via the Ethereum base layer. So this is quantified as supply-side fees that the Optimism L2 protocol pays to base layer Ethereum L1 in exchange for security. Like the way Optimism works at a very macro level is that um, transactions are bundled together, sent at the L2 layer, sent down to the Ethereum base layer, and then... uh, that is what's propagated to the nodes, added to the blockchain, etc. And in exchange for that, uh, Optimism L2 pays for the security of the Ethereum base layer. Week 8, 2023, Optimism paid around $237,000 from the $275,000 right, that, um, that was collected. Now, that leaves $38,000. Okay, so two seventy five minus two thirty seven is about thirty eight thousand dollars. Great, you can say the optimism token, optimism protocol is profitable. It is profitable now, but it wasn't recently because there's there's some there's other those are the factors you have to consider, like token incentives. So token incentives are a marketing expense that uh, protocols like Optimism use to uh, incentivize people to use the platform. Very simple example is when the OP is when uh, when Optimism first rolled out, they had the incentive program on Aave where individuals could uh, deploy ETH to the Aave lending pool and earn yield on it. In addition to the yield earned on ETH, like they would earn like one, two, three percent in OP tokens, right? That's a token incentive. So you can see if you look at Week Eight, twenty twenty three. Optimism collected $275,000, paid $237,000 out as security fees to the Ethereum base layer. That leaves $38,000. And then, and then uh, in addition to that, there's a lot of debate on this. Optimism paid $2,000, uh, approximately $2,000 out, $2,000 worth of OP tokens out as an incentive. So one point of view on this is that, well, this is an expense because uh, it's a fee. It's an expense in that it goes from the Optimism Treasury and it's paid out to users as an incentive for the platform. Another point of view is that 
no matter how many tokens you create, all you're diluting is like the per token value. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have the same optimism market cap. So if there's a billion optimism tokens and the market cap's 3 billion, and then you create a million optimism tokens, the market cap's still going to be 3 billion. But now the price per token is going to go down. So in that scenario, some people don't consider it a token incentive. Either way, I'm I'm of the mindset that uh, paying for utilization on the OP protocol or any protocol in general is an expense that should be accounted for. So when you back out the token incentives, you are left with net earnings of $35,000 USD, right? You can compare that to week seven, where... Um, I mean, it's crazy. The token incentives was so gnarly, right? You can see that. Uh, I almost got to double check it. This is crazy. Week seven, they paid out $15 million in OP tokens. Week six, they paid out $34 million in OP tokens, right? Um, I wonder what this token incentive is from. This is a very high number. Maybe if we span out to like, let's take, let's see what the quarterly view is. Yeah. So week over week, with respect to like just the initial like launch of base on OP, for sure it's driving utilization. But in the aggregate Q1 2023, Q4 2022, you can see beyond a doubt, it's undeniable that uh, the token incentives that Optimism pays out to its users for using the Optimism protocol is much greater than the revenue collected after accounting for uh, supply side. Hell, even accounting before supply. No, no, let's keep it real. Yeah, Q4 2022 collected $4 million in revenue and fees, paid out $3 million in security to Ethereum Base 1. That left 800, uh, Ethereum Layer 1. That left 884000 paid out $26 million in token incentives. That left with the, that was, that left um, OP with a, net earnings of negative 25 million now you could do all sorts of things with this like extrapolate like with the pf ratio for some reason uh token terminal doesn't have the pe ratio i don't know why they don't because like at the end of the day um when you buy a token you're paying for its future earnings right so at at a price point of at a price point of 282 your the the way it works in TradFi is that you're paying two dollars and eighty two cents for every dollar of for every dollar of earnings. But the challenge here is that your uh, OP is not profitable, so you're actually paying two dollars and eighty two cents. Uh, PE ratio would actually not be an option because there's no earnings. So this is why they use like the PF ratio, PS ratio, but I, I'd proceed with caution. And if you're going to try to do a valuation on optimism, I would take into account um, just the user adoption. This might be a little more quantifiable daily active users. Maybe developer commits might be the number of developers could be an interesting opportunity. I would look at revenue growth. Is it growing or decreasing? I would overlay the token incentives and try to calculate, is this growth organic or really a byproduct of token incentives? And then from there, you could do some like PE ratio where you can like uh, flip the PE ratio on its head, back out EPS and get the share price that way. I posted this on frontruncrypto.com. So either way, whether you agree with the price point of optimism or not, it's super bullish to see not only um, not only uh, Coinbase launch uh, uh, completely 
non-custodial, decentralized L2 on Ethereum, but they're also using optimism. And I and it's generally a bullish bullish proposition for um, the entire Ethereum ecosystem in general. But what I want to point out is that uh, there is some some contention. So when ba- when Base was launched, you can see this on Tier 10K, uh, who I follow. Base made a commitment to contribute 20% of sequencer revenue to funding public goods. So this is essential when we say contributing 20% of sequencer revenue to funding public goods. That means that um, the revenue that Base collects from transactions, 20% of that is going to be reallocated to optimism specifically within their public within their funding public goods program which is really an entity that identifies compelling and impactful defi projects and then grants them and 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 awards them grants that was that was the initial angle but uh now with the launch of uh of base on optimism coinbase changed their commitment it went from 20% of sequencer revenue to Quote, we are contributing a portion of sequencer revenue to funding public goods. So what happened, right? Well, if we scroll down, Jesse Pollock, who's like the, uh, I think he's like an engineering director at Coinbase, basically said that we are working with the Optimism Collective to ensure that the OP stack has public goods available to everyone, including contribution of sequencer revenue to funding, right? So, oops, they backed out. I don't think this caught the mainstream uh, mainstream crypto Twitter headlines today, but... Um, it just goes to show, man, that that this whole angle of code is law. I don't really don't think code is law, and we're going to talk about this uh, a little bit later. I'm super optimistic that I'm super optimistic for crypto and DeFi and Ethereum that we're seeing this base layer two built. But stuff like this, like the um, like Coinbase changing their commitment to sequencer revenue allocation to public to funding public goods, is not. It's not a good look. And it leads into, um, like, my next point is that there's this general theme on within the Ethereum ecosystem where code is law. And the essentially, the angle with code is law is that um, rather than a program or a protocol being managed by an organization of fallible humans who are subject to greed, anger, resentment, fear love, hatred, all these emotions that might cause them to make questionable decisions related to the protocol. If you put the rules of the protocol, whether it's the vesting schedule or the revenue allocation into the code, the code becomes the law such that you don't have to worry about like humans changing the rules. Well, what happens is humans just change the code, and that's changing the rules. Now, granted that the Optimism uh, uh, Coinbase Base L2 project has not been deployed to Optimism yet, so you can make the case to me, John, code is not, well, code is law, but this is still just like a, a design that's in progress. Sure, but this leads me to like my next point is that there's just been like this ongoing proliferation of like protocols changing the rules that they've committed to as part of the initial launch. So if you think that 
Coinbase base layer two, uh, Coinbase's base L2 that has committed to allocating 20% of its sequencer revenue to optimism could be a potential violation of the Coda's law construct. We can see here, this is posted by uh, Spreak Away on crypto Twitter. Here's the, this is Gelato Network um, quoting, a snapshot vote to accelerate the vesting of private investor tokens passed with a 54% Passed with 54% of participating voters, accounting for 90% of the voting power voting in favor of the proposal. As a result, the unlocking of private investor tokens will happen on Monday, the 27th of February, which will increase the total circulating supply of GEL tokens by $44 Okay, so there is a vesting smart contract, and the vesting smart contract says you're going to receive your token allocation 148th and equal and equal distributions every month for the next 48 months. What's happening here is that uh, the Gelato Network just voted to change the vesting schedule. Is that not Coda's law violation? So instead of this 148th token distribution, which is in the vesting smart contract, they just passed a snapshot vote to change the vesting smart contract such that all the tokens are going to be unlocked and distributed to uh, the owners and the uh, the early investors. What do you think is going to happen to this? I'm reasonably convinced this is going to be a dump on retail traders. So, like, this is happening on the 27th of February. That's not that's not this week. So let me look at see if I can gel USDT, see this, yeah. Yeah, and you can see, look, there was a pump and then a dump. This is very disappointing because what piqued my interest in this entire um, this entire discussion, and, and full disclosure, I'm an advisor at a startup that is building a token management platform that enables uh, VC funds to uh, manage their token allocation and investing schedules. But you can see that DYDX Foundation... Uh, this actually came out uh, two weeks ago, and it went completely under the radar. Like, it didn't get any headlines at all on a crypto Twitter. And the TLDR is that DYDX trading, which is like a derivatives trading platform that was on Ethereum, and then I think they migrated to Cosmos. They changed the uh, the token lockup schedule for DYDX token holders. They they basically extended the uh, the unlock schedule. So they took the opposite route of the gel token holders. And I'm reading the uh, I'm reading the thread from DYDX Foundation. Uh, let let's read it out loud together. On August third, twenty twenty one, DYDX Foundation issued DYDX a governance token uh, that aligns incentives between traders, liquidity providers, and partners. That that's that's not a hot take, right? The initial al- the initial allocation of the DYDX token included like in, uh, investors, founders, and uh, future employees, consultants of DYDX, right? So the initial vesting smart contract 
Let's see what it, the the warrant amendment mentioned above does not alter the staggered unlock that occurs after the initial unlock date, and therefore the investor DYDX tokens will be released from the transfer restrictions as follows, right? They are going to have a new unlock date on December 1st, 2023, followed by uh, three additional unlock dates on December on January 1st, 2024, another tranche in 2025, and another tranche in 2026. So somebody on crypto Twitter replied and with the correct response, never seen something like this before. How is this even possible? SAF contracts have been signed and now rules are being changed. I guess there is a first step for everything. This is nonsense. And it is nonsense because what DY, what is happening right now is DYDX is changing the vesting schedule of the, uh, of the DYDX token holders. And the way this works is if you invest in like a crypto token like DYDX, what you receive, what you're committing to is something called the SAP. It's a simple agreement for future tokens. It says, it's a piece of paper that says, I'm going to give this protocol $1 million in exchange for that. They're going to grant me uh, 10 million DYDX tokens, as an example, that will be vested and available for unlock after a 12-month vesting cliff at a rate of 1148th allocation for the remaining 36 months right so that means at month 12 you're going to get 12 out 12 of the 48 um you're going to get one 12 26 48 you're going to get 12 divided by 48 percent of the tokens and then at month 13 you're going to get another 148th then on february you're going to get 148th march 148th so on and so forth that's like the that's the rules in the vesting smart contract as well as the rules in the SAFT contract. So now DYDX has changed their token distribution. Gel has changed their token distribution. And Coinbase is changing their sequencer revenue contribution on the new base token. So this is all, all this means is that there's Engineers are going into the vesting smart contract and changing the vesting contract. They're changing the code. So if somebody, if there's a crypto maxi, I'm a crypto maxi, I love Ethereum, tons of potential. But if they go to you and say code is law, I would push back and ask them, how is code law when it's for sure managed by humans and subject to the same greed hubris and range of emotions that tradfi that also permeate in tradfi i mean we got to watch out for this guys but i'd be super careful about um i don't think this is a good luck not only for the op token but also for dydx and gel so moving on uh next there's been a lot of news related to uh, just binance uh I wrote a while ago in 2020 through 2022, you can check it out on com about questionable, the questioning the solvency of Binance via the BNB token, right? So BNB token, it has like a highly aggregated token holder population amongst its like top 100 tokens. They control a uh, top 100 wallets. They control like 70% of the total token population. To- token allocation binance smart chain has like 23 node operators like the ceo zz can just 
tell the the uh, uh, the nodes, hey, like roll back this change, and they'll just do it on the fly. And then, like sometime last year, uh, Binance changed the default stablecoin from USDC such that all tokens, all stablecoins uh, that were on ramped into Binance were automatically converted to be a U- to be USD just automatically, and it crushed USD for a minute. And then uh, now, fast forward, what happens? BUSD is getting regulated by um, by the United States government. Um, Paxos, which is like the the manager of the BUSD token, is like breaking relationships with Binance. CZ, the Binance CEO, is trying to step away from like this entire relationship, even though it's his protocol that like did the auto conversion from USDC to Binance, and then. After that, um, like USD on ramps were like banned from Binance unless the amounts were like greater than a hundred thousand dollars. This is all like in the past three months, by the way. And now, as of this morning, Binance announces immediate closure of Binance Australia derivative positions and accounts. Right, customer service team will contact you as soon as possible. Um, uh, however, you are. You are able to continue to use services offered by Invest by BitPay as normal. This includes buying, selling crypto. If you wish to access the Binance Australia derivatives trading platform, you will need to provide new tax, new information, and evidence how you meet the requirements to be classified as a wholesale investor. And it goes on and on. So you can see Binance regulatory crackdown, uh, U.S. and beyond. I think um, I. I predict worse outcomes for Binance in like the in like 2024. Um, I, I I acknowledge that the BNB token powers the Binance Smart Chain, but I question the equal distribution of the BNB token holders. I question the saliency of the Binance BUSD token. I question whether or not the Binance uh, exchange actually has the tokens in its possession. You can see from like previous interviews with CZ, every time he is asked on the spot, does Binance have its users' assets safely custodied? He responds with some like off-the-wall statement like, oh, we'll let our lawyers handle that. So I just be incredibly cautious. But as of today, Binance is now closing its Australia derivatives platform which is exactly what coinbase doesn't have because it's regulated by the sec right derivatives trading is like you go long or short on a position you take leverage on it like i think crypt i think ethereum is going to go up uh 20 or maybe five percent in the next 30 minutes so i'm going to take a 1000 times leverage position on it you pay the premium if you win you get the upside if you lose then uh you lose your principal and then the amount goes to the like the liquidity pool if it's like a decentralized platform if it's centralized then it just goes to like the exchange so like if you want to do these derivative trading solutions you can use like gains or or uh GMX be careful if you're on Binance i think worst days are ahead and now that leads us to uh the next topic, which is, let's see if I can find this. It's GMX. I saw this really, really uh, just powerful um, tweet published by Token Inside, and it's called the GMX Lego. And man, if you want to know why GMX is trading at like $80 a token, um, 
I, I listened to a recent interview, I think on on like Bankless or somewhere, where they interviewed the GMX team, and their position is that GMX is going to be the base layer on which other applications are built. So you might be saying, how is that possible? GMX is already a layer two on Arbitrum. Well, there's a ton of like vaults, and they're really like GLP vaults that already exist on top of on top of. Um, GMX as well as like lending vaults. So for example, um, I pulled up this report called the GMX Lego. If you imagine that GMX is the base layer, what happens is, and full disclosure, I have I have long positions in in um, in in uh, Neutro, which is like a a GLP vault. So let's say you are earning yield on the GLP token, uh, which is. Um, which is the GLP token is the token in addition to GMX that earns revenue via uh, via trading fees. So like if you go long on a position on ETH and you and ETH goes sideways or the other way, you lose your principal and then like a, a portion of that principal that you paid goes to the GLP token holders, right? So this GLP token is subject to like the ebbs and flows of the market. And it can go up, it can go down. So a lot of vaults have been created where you deploy GLP to the vault and it tries to run like a delta neutral strategy, which is basically a fancy way of saying whether the price goes up or goes down, the trading strategy of the vault is such that your GLP principle is also protected. So GMX base layer, then vaults are deployed on top of it. Neutra is an example of that. Also, there's like lending platforms like uh like sentiments which uh I, I i'm a big fan of as well as tenderfy rodeo essentially what happens there is you deploy you deploy eth and you can take leverage positions on gmx and then for some platforms like gmx you can even take that leverage position and turn it into like a glp opportunity so like what that means is you deposit one eth you can take up to like three ETH of leverage on um, like the GMX token or the GLP token, and then you can earn yield by deploying that to like a lending vault. Um, but the challenge is that on these lending platforms, as you know, you're subject to like liquidity premium law, liquidity loss when your trade goes. Uh, you're subject to principal loss when your trade goes sideways. Like for example, a or check it out on frontcrypto.com. I if you go like 5x on 5x long on ethereum and ethereum loses like 10% of its value you've lost your principal and you're going to get automatically liquidated so in that scenario code is law so super pumped about gmx uh, i i'm long on it and this is an example of the power of the crypto tokens that are used to power that are used to like power gmx it's not a shitcoin in that revenue from the protocol accrues to the gmx token holders the glp token holders and then from there uh you can do stuff with that glp gmx like put it into like a lending vault earn yield on that you can go leverage long leverage short using sentiment and this is going to be the proliferation that i think uh, other derivatives platforms like gns and gains are going to follow to like ramp up the price of um of their crypto token. So check out the GMX logo. And finally, uh, our last note is uh, I am super pumped 
I know there are a lot of people who were not a fan of like the ICO bull run in 2017. There's a lot of shit coins on there for sure. But if you are, you can check out Camelot. It's a community-driven decentralized exchange. Um, I think it's based on Uniswap, actually. But it was deployed to Arbitrum. And you can trade like all your popular tokens on there for sure. But what I like about the Camelot exchange is this concept called Launchpad. So on Launchpad, you can have a fair token launch. So this draws similarities to the ICO boom in 2017, where... Uh, you want to participate in an, in an ICO offering, you you would try to get there early enough, deploy your capital, and hopefully there was still, um, it wasn't so oversubscribed such that you didn't have the opportunity to do so. Launchpad is flipping it on its head and saying, hey, any token that wants to have an ICO event, use uh, Camelot's Launchpad and participate in a fair auction launch. And what that means is that Token uh, protocol projects will have like a goal where they'll want to raise $100,000, a million dollars or whatever, or maybe $50,000. And individuals who are supportive of that project or just speculators will deploy USDC or ETH to the project as an ICO, but the price of the token will not be finalized until the total amount has been collected. So let's say that we'll go to an example right now for FCT, our factor. Uh, factor, is this an active token right now? Yeah, there it is. So factor raised $6,550,000 from a variety of um, people. I know there's a, there's a lot of like speculation on on FCTR is like a is like a Ponzi or not, but put that to the side. You have to do due diligence on that. So basically, FCTR, Nutra, and these other platforms say, "Hey, I want to raise money. I'm going to deploy my ICO on uh, on Camelot Launchpad via fair auction. People are going to invest USDC ETH into the project, and then when the ICO time runs out, in this case for Camelot, 18 hours, the number of tokens that the price of each token is a reflection of the total amount raised. So that means everyone pays the same price. So you can see the auction will start with a fully diluted value of $10 million with a floor price of $0.01 cent per uh, token, right? And will increase proportionally after the first million has been raised. Once $1 million has been raised, We'll enter a price discovery phase where the token will continuously increase at every purchase. So that they're basically saying that there's a floor price of uh, one cent. But once the uh, so if not enough money is raised, then uh, the minimum price will be one cent. But if a million dollars, if at least one million dollars are raised, the price will be a reflection of the total tokens available divided uh, the the amount raised divided by the total tokens available, and then that will determine um, that will determine the token price, and then it will just go up, up, up. So you can see. Let's see. Let's see what what their house is valued. You, the tokens you will receive will have the exact same dollar value as your contribution. Yeah. So they're they're gonna allocate ten million tokens to this token launch. They've raised six point five million so far. So six point five million divided by ten million is sixty five cents, which is um, which is the current uh, price per token. Now, if they were, if it, they raise nine million, 
then the uh, price would be $0.90. If they raise uh, $11 million, then the price would be $1.10. So that's uh, that matters. Uh, what I find impactful about this is it's, is not so much that it's an auction, but like it's a fair launch auction. So that means whether you invest in hour one or hour 36 or hour 100, you're going to pay the same price, which is a byproduct of the total amount raised. So if you want to get involved in some in some uh, ICOs on Ethereum L2 on Arbitrum, I'd recommend you check out Launchpad. But like, keep in mind, you got to do your research because most of these tokens will have some like lockup period, which is like called an escrow period or something along those lines. GMX has something popular. I threw 200 into NEU just to see how it worked. And the way it works is that you basically buy, you, 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 you know, you're granted the number of tokens depending on the final share price, token price, and this gets 65 cents. So I was granted approximately 300, 306 NEU tokens, but like it was distributed 50% NEU, 50% escrowed NEU. The escrowed NEU has a 12 month lockup period, which prevents, uh, which prevents like a pump and dump from the, um, uh, after the initial token launch. So if you think you want to like buy it and sell it like right after the token goes public, you'll be able to do that for some, uh, but uh, for sure not for all. In this case, uh, I sold 150 tokens when the price got to around like two bucks or maybe 150, and now it's hovering around two. We're gonna let it ride until uh, until the lockup period ends. So uh, if you want to check it out, there's I'll put the URL in the show notes for you. Uh, and last but not least, we're going to wrap this up with uh, economic data. Lots of talk around uh, inflation, deflation, recession, strong job market, debt ceiling, war with Russia, war with China, yada, yada, yada. A lot of hot takes on Twitter. I encourage everyone to go directly to the source. And what you'll see is that there are aggregators like econoday.com that actually take the various economic events that happen throughout the day and put it in an economic calendar, which is what you see here. So, for example, today on the 23rd, there was a three-month treasury bill settlement, jobless claims reports was released, um, three-month bill announcement, uh, and the Fed balance sheet was released, right? And then people take this and out, this news and then like they'll make tweets about it, might write articles about it, da-da-da. But it's all secondhand information, so I'd encourage you to go directly to the source because they just report it as is directly from the government. And again, you can check out econoday.com or it's also in the show notes. So you can see uh, for econoday.com, we're looking at the Federal Reserve total assets. Like how much you heard the money printer go burr meme? This is, this is it, right? Money printer go burr or not? In a quantitative, uh, quantitative uh, easing cycle, which you might know is a 0% interest rate environment, the federal government, the Federal Reserve prints money, burr, and that's what like uh that's that stimulates investing and that was really a catalyst for the twenty twenty one bull run we saw across all asset classes. But is the printer still on? The answer is no, but not so much. So the Federal Reserve balance sheet went from something like um let me look at federal uh, Federal Reserve balance sheet, Fred. Let's see. Let's see what it's at. Total assets less 
Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. So the balance sheet went from four trillion dollars in like 2020 to like uh, eight point nine trillion dollars at its peak in 2022. That's called quantitative easing. That's when like the uh, where uh, the Federal Reserve buys treasuries from the U.S. Treasury. It becomes uh, uh, a liability. Uh, it becomes an asset on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, and then. Um, they got to pay it back, though, because now the money's if you buy a trillion dollars in treasuries, it's given to the treasury. And then the treasury stimulates the economy by giving that trillion dollars to governmental agencies who give it to like nonprofits and commercial institutions who go out and do stuff. Right. And that's how you stimulate the money printing. But now uh, with this economic calendar uh, outlook that was published today, it's the uh, updated the Federal Reserve balance sheet. And it shows, quote, Federal Reserve banks show total assets down 2.5 billion to 8.3 trillion from a week ago prior Wednesday. Right, this decrease was mainly from a decline in securities held outright of 3.5 billion dollars, with an offset of initial increase in 2.1 billion dollars in other assets. Right, the securities are the treasury bills. Right, and we can go on and say that. Uh, in 2017, the Fed announced a, a program of quantitative tightening to reduce its balance sheet through the gradual reduction of both treasury and mortgage-backed security holdings, right? That's what happened. Um, but then fast forward to 2019, the Fed announced that it will begin increasing the balance sheet again on October 25th, on October 15th uh, by buying treasury bills, right? And that's what cranked it up to like $9 trillion, uh, $8.9 trillion in 2022, right? So now the Federal Reserve is trying to reverse course. And uh, you can see that at the table at the top, uh, the prior period had $8.3 trillion. Uh, uh, sorry, the um, God, these numbers are so large. Like the total assets in possession uh, went down. billion dollars to 8.382 trillion dollars and that only impacts the one to the third decimal to the right of the amount of assets on the federal balance sheet it's crazy man so you can see like uh this is bad because the amount of uh, assets we have um this is really a reflection of like the economic spending of the Federal Reserve. And you can see that the Federal Reserve's attempt to reduce its balance sheet is a reflection of like quantitative tightening, which is a mechanism to spend less when the government spends less and the Federal Reserve increases interest rates. It makes the cost of borrowing go higher when the cost of borrowing is higher. Companies are less incentivized to uh, to take on incremental debt to facilitate these new initiatives, whether it's building roads, planes, bridges, computer software. And because companies are willing to invest in less, they have to be more rigorous with the money they have, which means they cut down on hiring, cut down on spending. When hot, when companies cut down on hiring, cut down on spending, it's implied that consumers spend less. When consumers spend less, customers make less companies make less money, which causes the earnings per share and the P ratio to go down. When the P when the E goes down in the P ratio, stocks become more expensive, which causes stock prices to go down. And when that happens, everyone stops spending and inflation goes down. Right? That's like that's like the vision 
of the Federal Reserve, and that's what's happening right now with respect to a reduction in uh, its balance sheet, as well as an increase in um, uh, corresponding federal funds rates. So that's all I got, guys. If you enjoyed what you heard, hit the subscribe, like button, follow me on Front Run, uh, follow me on Twitter at Front Run John, or check out uh, my newsletter at FrontRunCrypto.com. It's all free. We'll be back next time for more crypto updates. Remember, do your own research. Check primary sources first. Be incredibly cautious with everything you hear and continue to be bullish. Alrighty, guys. Peace. See you next time.